0: My name is H. Sterling Burnett. I'm a senior fellow with the Heartland Institute.
1: Thank you very much for joining the program here today, Dr. Burnett. And we're talking today about, I guess it's called ACE, the Affordable Clean Energy, Uh, the EPA, their latest ruling, I guess, or latest policy or removal. Of it uh, restructuring, I, guess, I what, what is the right way to phrase what happened over the last couple of days. Of course, that's why we're bringing in uh, Doctor Sterling Burnett to dissect this a little bit and talk about what the new policy is going forward. How are you today?
0: Doing well. So what they did is this: it, it's a two it's a two step process. First, last year they rescinded the Obama administration's Clean Power Plan, um, but they couldn't just rescind it because the Environmental Protection Agency has determined that carbon dioxide poses a threat to human health and environment. I I think that that's a mistake. I think they had little justification for doing it, and cases challenging that are going forward in court. But uh, absent rescinding that determination, the Trump administration couldn't just pull the clean power plan. Uh, They also had to offer something of their own in its place which is what they did yesterday, the ACE rule, the uh, Affordable Clean Energy Regulation. So uh, they published the final notice, and it is appreciably better than the clean power plant. There's no question. It will save money. It will not force the closure of as many coal plants because it does not basically direct states to stop using coal, to replace coal with renewables and a little bit of natural gas. Uh, instead, it it sort of offers a suite of technological fixes that would allow coal power plants to uh, upgrade their facilities to improve their efficiency, their heat rate, uh, and thus continue operating Much less costly, um, but it does impose some cost. And in the current environment, where... Uh, Coal companies, I mean, where utilities are closing their coal plants already because the government is funding, (laughs) big government is giving big dollars to renewable energy sources and the construction of new facilities, um, it's still going to put some marginal plants out of business. And it's unnecessary because carbon dioxide is not a uh, pollutant.
1: How much is natural gas playing into this? Because you mentioned it briefly. Um, uh, Tony Clark, when he was uh, in charge of uh, FERC, he mentioned that natural gas and coal were going to be tied together in in the foreseeable future. Um, talk to me a little bit about that relationship and how it's going. Well, how yeah. this is going to impact yeah. the uh, industry itself.
0: Well, the ACE rule will. Um, the ACE rule doesn't have a lot to do with natural gas um, cpp did specifically allow some natural gas to replace coal it's uh cleaner burning as far as uh well almost all emissions um, but coal with current technologies is just not dirty by any means but uh because I think the Administration figured it would there's a, a around two hundred and something million dollars, uh, maybe four hundred million dollars in cost uh, by implementing these upgrades that the coal plants uh, in various states will have to do. Um, there are some coal plants that uh, rather than under the clean Power plan that would be replaced, would have been almost mandated to be replaced with wind and solar, which are much more expensive. Uh, they will probably still go out of business as they're already doing uh, and being replaced with natural gas. Natural gas is uh, the, the fastest growing as an amount of electric supply, not the percentage wise. Uh, wind and solar that get big subsidies as a percentage are growing faster, but they're starting from a much smaller base and uh, they're still a much smaller amount. So uh, uh, natural gas will benefit probably a little bit from this rule because there will some be some coal plants that will close. And instead of being replaced with, uh, with more expensive wind and solar, they'll probably be replaced with natural gas, which is also more reliable. I mean, the, the virtues of coal, nuclear, natural gas is that they are reliable and they are dispatchable. In other words, they can be uh, dispatched, you know, Natural gas can be ramped up as needed. You, you can turn off your plant and turn it back on in minutes and, and get natural gas electricity flowing. So they have a lot of benefits that wind and solar don't because they are dependent upon nature. You know, if, if nature plays along, then you've got power from them. And if it doesn't, uh, if it's windy, if it's nighttime, <laughs> if, if uh, it's, it's not windy enough, um, you, you have trouble from uh, wind and solar.
1: Do you, do you mind if uh, we sidebar for just a second away from the uh, ACE and and get into the wind and solar and the natural gas for a couple of minutes? Sure, no. So w- one of the conversations that we've just started over the last, I don't know, two months, three months, is just how the wind and solar industry really has, has you know, if you were to give them a grade, they'd probably have a failing grade. The amount of subsidies that have gone into that industry, and what they what they said that they were going to do as a goal, I don't think they've achieved yet. Is that a fair statement? Or talk to me about what, what kind of letter grade would you give them over the last 20 years of, you know, pumping let's, subsidy, let's, subsidy dollars yeah. in there?
0: Okay, let's be clear. It's not 20 years. We've been pumping subsidy dollars to wind and solar since the 1970s. Since we first started the uh, – since the uh, – Department of Energy was formed. We went through the oil embargo and the crisis. Uh, government started intervening in energy markets seriously. They started subsidizing wind and solar then. It did, however, start really ramping up about 20 years ago at the end of the uh, second Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Now, they promise for 40 years now, not 20, for 40 years now, they promise with just a little bit more money and a little bit more time. They would be cost-competitive and wouldn't need subsidies. We're an infant industry. We're, we're an orphan industry. We, we're just starting out. You've got to help us so we can compete with big oil and big gas and big coal. You know That's what they've been promising for 40 years, and they're still not there. And the evidence is this. Every time the production tax credit lapses for wind energy, And for solar energy, despite the fact that many states have mandated, have required, regardless of the cost, you've got to use wind and solar. And seen their prices skyrocket since then. Despite that fact, every time the production tax credit goes away, even for a couple of months, as it does, you know, as it has done about four or five times because they can't get their budget deals cut before they have to do an omnibus at the end of the year, shops shut down that day. Wind turbine manufacturers close their doors. Solar manufacturers close their doors. Not weeks later, but the day the subsidies run out. They are creatures entirely of government. Were it not for the fact government were pouring these billions of dollars into it, giving low cost loans for factories, giving low or 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 grants. Giving tax abatements, property tax abatements, to lure these factories, giving money for every uh, kilowatt hour produced, these things wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be building wind and solar like we're building them today. There'd still be some people, put, you know, some wealthy people putting homeowners uh, putting panels on their homes. There'd still be some isolated people that live out in the country that are not going to be hooked up to the grid, who would still put ho- uh, solar panels on their homes. Uh, but the way it's being done now, where you're building solar farms and wind farms, where you're where the government is paying for a third of the cost of you putting solar panels in your home, that wouldn't exist. Those those businesses would go away, and we would have more coal and more wind and more nu- uh, nuclear would still be there. More natural gas, it would, you know, natural gas would be thriving. Now it already is. Um, well, that, that... because natural gas is is the best for. A backup. What you got to remember is, for every thousand megawatts of wind or solar they build, they have to build seven hundred megawatts of wind. I mean, of natural gas, because wind and solar only, you know, operate or only worthwhile about thirty percent of the time.
1: Well, that's where I was kind of going with this. Is not not that we're advocating subsidies here. We're just saying they they've been there for forty years. Okay, twenty years, yeah. especially what would a world look like? And again, we're not advocating subsidies for the energy companies because they, they pay more taxes than probably anybody else. And they also get more fees and more regulations, dollars, than anybody else. And they still got enough money left over to make sure the local churches have bake sales and the softball teams have uniforms and everything. So um, we're, we're we're not getting into that type of an argument here. What we're trying to say is what would a world look like if we shifted those subsidy dollars from solar and wind and put them into natural gas? Because that that, that is an actual solvable problem, in my opinion, in the next five years, that if some of these science projects, because like I said, these energy companies are getting taxed more than anybody. They're getting feed and regulated more than anybody. They're making sure that the local communities have their church bake sales going on. So to actually give them a little bit of R&D help with those crazy guys living on well sites trying to figure out a way to get the Permian uh, out of the negative dollar natural gas and the Bakken's over at 3 bucks and you know do you know what I mean by that to where if we shifted the well, subsidy I dollars what you're Yeah, okay.
0: I understand what you're saying, but, but I have got to tell you, you know, we at the Heartland Institute, myself and 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 many of the other scholars, are, we believe in an energy neutral policy. We believe in no subsidies for anyone. Natural gas would do just fine if it wasn't having to compete with wind, subsidized wind and solar. Coal would do just fine if it wasn't having to compete with subsidized wind and solar. You take, the, you simply take those subsidies away, treat all of those energy sources the same as a tax treatment. So they will write off their equipment the same number of years. They write off their expenses the same number of years on the tax. So you treat them the same, no subsidies. Uh, you don't need to Subsidize uh, natural gas because they'll be making more profits. The prices will be higher because they'd be taking more of the electric power load, uh, and then they could invest their own dollars in whatever R and D they think they need to do.
1: And and really, that's kind of where we're going also with this, whether it's from ACE, the to- topic we were originally talking about, or just the natural gas here. A lot of it boils down to innovation and freeing up the money to put towards the innovation in areas where the market is showing it's needed. Is that a fair statement?
0: Uh, yeah, where the market's showing it's needed. That's the whole point is there was, there, was, there is no market. There, there was no evidence the market was demanding wind and solar power. We, we weren't running short of electricity before they started subsidizing wind and solar power. We weren't having blackouts. In fact, the blackouts and brownouts that California have experienced came as they were forcing more wind and solar and renewables onto the grid and taking coal off the grid. And then they complained that natural gas companies were causing their price spikes. They weren't. It was the way their regulations were strangling energy supply by dictating uh, market supply. So, um, there. There was no market demand. The creation of, government, of of wind and solar is completely government demand. And uh, I, I have confidence. Just like, I mean, the government didn't create the fracking revolution. That was innovation in the natural gas industry. When I, give you a little story. So in the early to, to mid-2000s, as you know, natural gas prices were going through the roof. I think they peaked around $14 a million BTU. Um, at that time, there were predictions that we only had enough natural gas for the next 60 years. And, you know, I was arguing at the time, well, yeah, but there's a lot of gas on government land, and government, you know, not letting us get to that. And so I was interviewed by somebody who said, uh, well, what do you think? It's, it's $14 a million BTU? Uh, is this the permanent state of affairs. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. The market will will respond. I am confident that within a couple of years, we'll be down to $9 per million BTU because the market will respond. Well, I didn't see the fracking revolution, and almost nobody else did. But the industry discovered it. And now, where is it at? $2.50 a million BTU or less? I was thinking $9 would be the new norm. $8 would be the new norm. <laughs> Even I, who was an optimist, I think, uh, couldn't foresee technological change once the market was allowed to compete. Demanded innovation. And I think the industry will innovate without subsidies. In fact, one of the things probably holding back wind and solar are the subsidies. Because if the government says, we're going to give money to this technology, this specific technology, these kind of turbines, these kind of solar panels, even if you've got a better mousetrap, if that's not the one that's getting the subsidies, both the government money is going to the, to the older technology, the existing technology, who doesn't want the competition from new startups, uh, and private dollars follow government dollars. They say, look, if government's going to back this, we're going to get our money in, into it. So innovation dries up in those industries. I think the, the, the solar and wind energies industries from the perspective of innovation would be better off without the government subsidies.
1: Dr. Sterling Burnett is our guest, senior fellow, Heartland Institute. You mentioned uh, you guys are a big proponents of non-subsidies and uh, tracking a lot of the, the policies and procedures and regulations happening in, in yeah. D.C. and how it impacts the industry. How closely or are familiar are you with the rise of this new age environmentalism? This cult of environmentalism that seems to be impacting Colorado, Oregon. You got two presidential candidates now talking about banning drilling. Are you guys fo- following that at all, or is that kind of uh, not, I, I, not on your- I, I, followed, I followed that
0: issue for uh, going on thirty years now, uh, long before I joined Harland. Um, the keep it in the ground movement is what, you know, labeled now, uh, supporters of the Green New Deal who want to end all emissions of uh, greenhouse gases. Uh, all of these guys, they're, they're they are basically mis- misanthropes. They're, they largely represent a relatively wealthy segment of the population, uh, largely white, largely upper middle class to wealthy, who have their, their money. They have their money, and they want playgrounds. And they don't care about the poor. They especially don't care about the poor in developing countries. They, they don't care if those people have to li- continue to live in poverty. Either that, or they're blind, and they really believe socialism can work. And that, that, that wealth falls like manna from heaven. And that all we have to do is distribute the wealth to the poor. And suddenly they will be uh, well off, as opposed to just making everybody else poor. Um, they they say things like the ideal human population is 200 million people. Well, okay, what do we do with the other uh, 7 billion people on Earth? They say things. Uh, a, a, a government employee, a U.S. Foreign Service employee, once said, humans are cancer on the Earth and we can only hope for the next disease to come along to wipe us out. They care more about the environment than they care about humans. And so when they shed crocodile tears saying oh you're killing children oh you're doing this you're doing that they don't care about those children those are those are poster they're using them to promote their nefarious their misanthropic environmental ends where they have their playgrounds and everybody else is forced into hobbles and cities
1: well i i think you'll well, I think I know the answer to my next question then. Um we, we've been making the claim on this program and like I said we we primarily are a non-political program but we've been tracking this environmental rise, this uh cult of environmentalism for about 7 years pretty handily to where, you know, the Dapple, the D- Dakota Access Pipeline protest, you've got the Colorado yeah. happening, like I said all the way to Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren now to where it's here it's it, it is a ideology that is in influencing a lot of day to day but what we're our position is this and and we're not we're, we're actually trying to be really factual here which is today's protester does more texting and trolling and drinking Keurig coffee than they do actually trying to save the planet and the oil and gas industry is actually doing more, investment-wise, in action to save the planet than the average environmentalist. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you make about that comment uh, that we have?
0: It's a, similar, it's a similar case for the animal rights activists. Hunters spend more dollars actually protecting habitat and actually preserving species than PETA and the Humane Society combined. Uh, you wouldn't have wildlife agencies were it not for $100. And PETA tries to undermine all these things. Well, the same is true for these radical environmentalists who want to get rid of fossil fuels. The funny thing is, you know, as as an experiment, if if I was a parent, and I'm not, if I were blessed with children, and my child came home and said, we need to get an electric car, we've got to stop using fossil fuels, we're destroying the earth. I would say, okay, hand me your iPhone. Give me your iPad. Let's get rid of the earbuds. Uh, we're cutting off the uh, whatever gaming system you have because they are all charged to electricity, and we're going to cut. Since you believe this, we're going to cut your emissions first. Uh, when it came time to go to school the next day for little Johnny or little Susie, I'd say get walking because I'm not driving my car. That would spew carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, you know, I just make them, I, I would let kids know. That are being led astray. Your lifestyle depends on the very things you're complaining about.
1: Well, one of the you things you can't
0: text, you can't talk, you can't Facebook or uh, WhatsApp or whatever without electricity, that's largely and primarily provided by fossil fuels.
1: And from my research, what I've read, and this is all very. You know, very easy to find. Cell phones are now the number one polluter on the planet.
0: In a, in a number of ways, I mean, you know, you got to remember every yeah. cell phone, every iPad, uh, all these, all these great gaming systems, everything—they rely on something called rare earth elements, which mm-hmm. we in the U.S. don't produce. We're almost 100% relying on China for the rare earth elements for these products. And the rare earth elements are hard to get at. They're expensive to refine and refining producing them and refining them creates millions of tons of toxic waste that's just sitting in pools each year. And they want solar panels and they want wind turbines that also rely on these rare earth elements. Where are we going to put all the pollution? Every for every megawatt of energy that solar panels produce, they create three hundred times more toxic waste than a comparable megawatt of coal or natural gas, or nuclear, or even nuclear. So you got to confront kids with these facts. And if they don't buy it, when you tell them, take away their electronics and say, okay, we're going to start with you first. You think we need to do without this kind of stuff? You go first. My suspicion is they would quickly find oh, suddenly I'm, I'm less concerned about the climate and I'm more concerned that I can't text my friend or get on Facebook.
1: That's that's without a doubt. And the other part of this, the research, too, is the data centers, that every text and every email yeah. and every website, it takes the power at the data centers in order to do that and the amount of energy that goes into that as well. So it this oh. the, the, the amount of oh. layers I've, I've seen where yeah. cell phones are just... The biggest polluter. Then, of course, when you look at the new age environmentalist, that's basically what they do. They text and they troll. That's, that is their yeah. new way of doing business. So I laugh because and I'm going, these, they're, they're know, the number one polluter on the planet now, these environmentalists.
0: All these data centers. Think about this. I don't know if you've ever been. We used to have, uh, when I worked in an office, we used to have a, 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 a room that was just devoted to our... Uh, Like the device. server, sure. Yeah, the server rooms. All the servers were in one room. And if the air conditioning went out, that room got hot fast. So we constantly, we're running air in there. In the middle of winter, we're running air in there. We may be running heat everywhere else. But in the server center, we're running air conditioning. Now, in Texas in the middle of summer, air conditioning ain't cheap. So uh, think about these huge, I'm talking about one room and one office think about these huge data centers that that are serving multiple states huge buildings with these servers running that have to be air conditioned to keep cool so this so the servers just don't literally fry themselves uh it's it's amazing now a lot of them google you know it's, it's has installed a lot of solar panels at taxpayer expense we paid for it just like we gave them the tax dollars to build these server centers and Tax abatements to build these service centers. But now they, they say they're using solar power. But guess what? They ain't using solar power at night. On a cloudy day, they're not running on solar power. In fact, they're never really running on solar power. They're, 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 solar power is always a supplement to the system because you can't rely on it. You have to have that power 24 hours a day. Now, they could try solar and battery backup, but battery backup is almost the most expensive source of energy you can have. And then you'd have to build entire buildings just filled with nothing but hot batteries that use toxic chemicals and materials in their creation. So it's, you know, when I, always, when I hear people talk about green energy, we need green energy, we need clean energy. I, I confront them. I say, if by a form of energy, you mean a form of energy that produces no environmental impact whatsoever, no green energy exists because every energy source has some environmental impact. So what you need to do is an apples to apples comparison on air quality, on water quality, on the impact on wildlife, on the impact on land, habitat, Uh, and then you make your comparison. But you can't just say wind and solar because they don't use fossil fuels or green, no. They have an environmental impact, too. Ask the millions of birds and bats uh, killed by wind turbines each year, which one Sierra Club is called the Queens and Arts of the Air, <laughs> or or the desert tortoises that are
1: being affected by solar farms out in the middle of their desert. Are you familiar with uh, Harry the Dirty Dog, that old book? Uh, children's book. You mentioned you didn't have kids, so you probably aren't. It's a s- story that uh, kids for 40 years have been have been read and Harry goes and gets dirty from the coal plant and playing in the in the crude oil plant that sort of thing and so for 40 years you know kids were bred to believe that you know this dirtiness and I remember the first time I went to Pittsburgh oh Pittsburgh's a gorgeous city and I was expecting this smog you know this dirty industrial steel type place and I Pittsburgh was great so um, the, the energy industry has done a fantastic job of cleaning their technology with the innovation. You, we've mentioned that earlier, you know, from the coal plants becoming extremely clean to, you know, you take, take some of the new refineries that are just doing state-of-the-art clean energy. Now, the reason I bring that up and I preface it like that is because There has been a change in the way government has run and the way that the energy industry has done things to where, is it time the energy industry reinvents how they do public relations? Because the hairy, the dirty dog and the way that they've been, you know, doing government relations for so long. And now, you know, you've got these Trojan horses like what happened in Colorado and and recently in Oregon. They just passed a similar one with the Senate. And just, it seems like the government kind of, is not as collaborative as it was before with the um, oil and gas industry to now. It's like a war type of a thing. My point is, <laughs> should they reinvent PR is where, 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 where I'm going. I don't going. know. I, I can't speak to PR. Yeah. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a marketing guy.
0: I'll say this. I think for far too long, rather than fighting, they've tried to get along. I mean, they, they spend millions of dollars supporting environmental groups that are trying to kill them. They give money, hoping to buy them off. They say things like, we're clean too. We are good guys. You know, rather than going out and defend, you know, not defending, because they shouldn't have to defend themselves. Rather than going out and saying all the good things our energy system does, how it provides the food on your table every day, how it doesn't get to market without the tractor trucks, without without the, uh, uh, the tractors themselves, without the the fertilizers and the fuel, saying, you don't live without our product. We're not bad guys. We're good guys. And we're tired of trying to say, oh, we're good too. You know, uh, paying off Sierra Club, paying off the Natural Resources Defense Council, hoping that if you give them money, they'll stop attacking you. They won't. They, you know, they're like...
1: I don't know. I, I just it's, think it's,
0: it's like Cong- it's like Congress asks. You know, imagine you're on, uh, you're you're testifying before Congress, and a congressman asks you, "Have you stopped beating your wife yet?" And your reply is, "You know, you're already in a bad spot because it implies that you beat your wife, even if you don't." Now you can respond, "I don't beat my wife, sir," and I won't dignify that with an answer. Well, that's what they do with the oil industry or the natural gas industry. They say, "Have you stopped polluting yet? Have you stopped killing the planet?" And rather than say, "We don't kill the planet; we're not polluting," what they say is, "We're getting better all the time. We're beating our lives less, and next year we'll be beating her even less than this year." It, 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 that's what they do. Well, the, this they say, is oh, this yes. We're, we're 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 constantly innovating. We're constantly cleaning up. It, rather than saying, "You know what? The emissions from our plant right now aren't killing anyone."
1: This is really important part. To air pollution
0: significantly. Yeah, this
1: is this is a really important point that you have here, which is they've controlled the narrative for a long time, and the oil and gas industries allowed them to, to the tune to where, previous to our interview here, uh, we kind of were just amazed, just dumbfounded that uh, two legitimate presidential candidates. Now I we don't think anybody's going to beat Trump. That's a politician in the next election, but. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are legitimate Democratic candidates and to actually have two legitimate candidates say they're gonna ban fracking as a platform is 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 pretty much crazy in terms of an actual definition in the dictionary so we were kind of joking that that fringe candidate that uh, um, you know wants to legislate dragons because he's a big game of Thrones fan and he wears his merlin hat and what's his name what's his name uh supreme vermin or whatever his name is anyway you know the fringe know. candidates that run every year they actually have a better platform than the than the ban the fracking and the fact that the media is allowing that to go on is 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 unbelievable because if you took away drilling it would be the walking dead without zombies in three days the 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 economy I mean, would go overnight would just become an uproar it would just it, you could I, I, Anyway, go I think on, go you're on. being
0: unfair. I think you're being unfair to Bernie and, and and Elizabeth Warren because you're 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 singling them out when in fact every senator, as far as I can tell, running for the presidency right now, and many of the former governors or governors that are running for the presidency right now, support the Green New Deal that that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Ed Markey of Massachusetts brought up. The Green New Deal is a complete socialist takeover of the economy. You don't have to ban fracking because they ban fossil fuel use. (laughs) It's not a matter of fracking, it's a matter of ending the use of fossil fuels in this country in 10 years. And coming into every home and business, every home and business, all structures, to ensure that they are upgraded for the most efficient technologies, forcing every homeowner and business owner to change their homes. And for some of these homes, you know, they're just going to have to be knocked down because they can't be upgraded in that fashion. 400-year homes that have been around since the uh, late 1600s, early 1700s on the Northeast Coast, you're not going to make them energy efficient that way. So you just knock them down. Buildings, you just knock them down. This is their goal. This is their platform. So it's not just, uh, it's not just uh, Bernie and Warren. It's... The vast majority of the candidates, because anyone who supports the Green New Deal is going much farther than banning fracking; they're banning the use of fossil fuels entirely.
1: And you said in ten years that in the Green New Deal is supposed to phase out
0: by twenty thirty. By twenty thirty.
1: That that's not even possible. That's in the, that's, that's in the plan. No, it, it's
0: not. I, I've actually written about how it is impossible. Is you would, imp, would have to depopulate so, entire. Developing countries to bring in the labor to string all the wires, to lay all the rails, because they want to get rid of uh, air flight. They want they want just rails to to build the new factories, to build all the solar panels and the wind turbines. You know, there's not enough labor here, even with all the oil and gas workers and coal workers you put out of business.
1: So is this what they're? I've had a few off the you know record conversations over a few highballs, you know, at at the at the lounge later at night, where they're talking about how. These, this Green New Deal is basically rolling the dice that the exponential history behind Silicon Valley is going to find its way into the solar and wind industry in order to make this happen. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Is that, I mean, do you understand what I'm just meant by that? To where no, I, I understand
0: what you're saying, but I just think it's not enough.
1: And and that's not even enough. That's like next to impossible off of sheer physics.
0: Think about it. That's it. It's the sheer physics. It took 400 years to build the uh, housing, uh, the, the present state of housing in this country. In 10 years, we've got to remake it all. It took 100 years to build the transportation infrastructure, the roads, the electricity infrastructure, the wires, the sewage infrastructure, you know, the pipes, it took 100 years. we got to do it all over in 10 years. Uh, you know, you, that's the Green New Deal.
1: So, and they're
0: not going to use nuke. They, they, they don't want nuke either. Even though nuclear is reliable, uh, the waste could be w- stored in one single location if politicians would get off their butts and allow it to be stored there. Um <laughs> you, it's crazy, and yet, like I said, it's not just Warren and Bernie. These guys are out there on the campaign trail. Cory Booker, Klobacher, um, uh, you know, pick your Senate candidate that's running for president. Kamala Harris. They all support the Green New Deal. Now, what's funny? I want you to think about this. What's funny is um, uh, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, called their bluff. He brought the Green New Deal up for a vote. And you know what happened? Even the sponsors, all the people that supported it, it didn't receive a single vote in its favor in the Senate. Not a single person would go on record as voting for that steaming pile. Uh, Instead, its supporters just voted present. Well, that tells you how much they think the Green New Deal uh, you know the reality of the Green New Deal. It's a talking point.
1: Do they do, do they even have a plan on how they're going to make solar panels? Because last time I checked, you need a lot of fossil fuels to make solar panels.
0: <laughs> and, and the rare earths, like I said. Uh, well, I mean, just uh, it's just
1: it's it's the most crazy um, backwards herd uh, herd mentality I've, I've ever seen. I mean, it's what like. Think- we can we, we kind of joke on our program like you know I, I grew up with the ed bagley jr who i respected that guy drove around in a methane powered car and he was trying to walk the walk and talk the talk and then it came to where people wanted to ban plastic bags and straws and now we're just going to apparently ban the whole industry so I, I i i you know from ed bagley jr to today they've lost their way they've just lost their way uh, well it's you know,
0: it's madness and it, it it's 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 scary because it's it's getting into our schools. You know, uh, schools are are using curriculum that train kids to be little activists. Mm -hmm. Not schools aren't teaching them how to think, which is what schools should be doing. They should be in the business of educating children to have a basic knowledge of the universe and how. To think for themselves, to weigh evidence, to carry out experiments, to uh, uh, make logical arguments, but not telling them what to think.
1: I tell Instead,
0: my school now, schools nowadays are doing just the opposite. They're not teaching them how to think. They're teaching them what to think. They want little activists. They want they they want doctrinaire activists that don't think for themselves but tote the party line. In this case, that fossil fuels are bad that modern civilization is evil, that socialism is good, (laughs) and it's scary.
1: Well, I I don't know about that, but I certainly would agree to the point to where I tell my son all the time, he's 13, and I've been telling him this, he was a a Montessori kid for the first uh, eight years, and then he went to public school, and public school is a lot different than, than a Montessori, where... Montessori is, is, you know, you go out in the woods and you learn and you go and, you know, you experience things and, and that sort of environment. It's a lot like a homeschool mentality. Public school is a lot different. I said, well, public schools are more like training centers. They're training you for something. And it just depends on whatever they're training you for at that year. I said, but it's not, an, it's not an education facility at all. It's a training center. And he's <laughs> after the third year, he goes, I know what you mean, dad. They just boss me around all the time. And so uh, you're right, as far as they, they're doing more of tra- um, um, telling people what to think instead of teaching them how to critical think. That's what I've, my, my, our observation has been that. It's too bad. Anyway, sorry, I just had to validate your story there with my uh, real life anecdote I did want to ask you if the the green new deal and this uh overview you know this ace had any correlation if they were going to impact each other if they're going to play along or or if they if the one thing really doesn't have anything to do with the other no, no no
0: ace trump does not support the green new deal he is uh you know not just opposed but strongly violently opposed to the green new deal ACE is his response to the Clean Power Plan, which, according to the Green New Deal, wouldn't have gone far enough. Uh, you know, the Green New Deal is, you know, doubles and triples the Clean Power Plan, which Trump rejected. He's replacing the Clean Power Plan with the American with the Affordable Clean Energy Act reg- regulation. It's not an act. It's not a, a law. It's a regulation coming out of EPA. And um, it, it's intended to... Um, Reduce carbon dioxide emissions, but doing it in a way that's both legal, which the CPP was arguably not legal. The Supreme Court put a hold on it, while uh, 28 states and so have challenged it. Uh, But it's also less onerous on uh, the coal industry, on coal-fired power plants. And that allows states more flexibility to how to meet the goals of reducing carbon dioxide emissions by improving efficiency rates to do, to, 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 to some extent, like I said, ACE is mark, remarkably or markedly better than the clean power plant. It's replaced. There's no question about that. It's less costly. It's less onerous. It's probably legal. It'll be challenged, but I, I doubt that it will be successfully challenged at least by people opposed to it because they support the clean power plant. There are people on my side who may challenge it for other reasons, Whether they'll be successful or not, I don't know. Um, But um, it still imposes new costs on industry, and that's going to hurt. And it's for, as far as I can tell, you know, based on my assessment of the science, for no good reason. Because carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. When I exhale, I'm not polluting. The trees thank me for it. The, the grass thanks me for it. The animals that rely on the trees and the grass and the flowers thank me for it. Uh, and the crops, the, the record crop yields that we set year over year, are thankful for it. We're greening the earth as we increase carbon dioxide. A lot of people don't realize this, uh, but this is just a fact. You can check your, you know, your, your whatever scientific uh, history you want to look at. During the middle of the last ice age, Carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere reached about 180 parts per million. Over over millions and billions of years, we've slowly been drawing down the carbon dioxide of the atmosphere. Sometimes in the past, it's been 5,000 parts per million or more. We were down to 180 parts per million. At 150 parts per million, plants can no longer photosynthesize. In other words, they die. And when plants die, we all die. So we came out of a little ice age, and CO2 levels rebounded up to 280 parts per million. And since that time, we've added about 130 parts per million, 140 parts per million. I think we're 405 parts per million now. That is not destroying the planet.
1: Dr. Sterling Burnett is our guest. Uh, Just kind of wrapping up here, we're talking a little bit about the kind of reactions to... The ACE, the new, and that stands for affordable clean, clean energy. energy regulation rule. Okay, affordable clean energy regulation cool. rule. Uh, Doctor Burnett is with the. He's a senior fellow with Hartland, and uh, I, how, how long you been with them?
0: Uh, it will be five years
1: in August. Okay, and you do the uh, environmental policy and managing editor of the Environmental Climate News. Is that still the case down there? Yep, I,
0: I'm, the, I'm the managing editor of Environment and Climate News, and we publish a weekly newsletter called Climate Change Weekly three times a month that I'm in charge of.
1: And can anybody sign up for it? Give that, uh, give that thing a plug. Maybe there's some people that might want to...
0: org. Go to our website, sign up for that, sign up for the environment and climate news the climate change weekly and if you're interested in matters beyond energy and environment uh if you're interested in budget and tax issues if you're interested in healthcare care issues if you're interested in constitutional issues sign up for our other newspapers and newsletters.
1: and you mentioned that you guys are primarily uh or not primarily but w- one of the things that you guys strive for is no subsidies talk a little bit about what heartland institute does for for a minute or two
0: We're a nonpartisan nonprofit based in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and we try and promote uh, uh, innovative private sector solutions to public policy problems. We try and show how markets solve problems. We analyze uh, existing laws to see whether they, uh, to some extent, are legal, but more importantly, whether they they make good sense, whether they're reaching the goals that they were intended to reach when they were uh, uh, enacted. Whether they are doing so efficiently, or whether they uh, they could be fixed to make uh, to solve those problems in a more efficient way, and to show how markets, how the private sector could solve a variety of problems um, that government doesn't need to be involved with.
1: And just kind of some final thoughts here as we wrap up the interview, Dr. Sterling Burnett. Uh, what what do you want people to walk away from about this, uh, you know, this affordable clean energy regulation? Well,
0: like I said, when environmentalists heard that Trump was rescinding the CPP, they fell to the ground, frothing at the mouth, you know, howling at the moon saying, oh my God, it's the end of the world. He's going to kill children. He's going to kill us all. He's trying to destroy the planet. Trump doesn't want to destroy the planet. He wants his children and grandchildren to have a better place to live just like everybody else does. And the the Clean Power Plan would have resulted in uh, greater economic harm and more premature deaths than the ACE rule does. The American Clean, uh, the the Affordable Clean Energy Rule will save lives. It will not cost as much as the Clean Power Plan. It is not a rollback of environmental protections because there's no evidence The Clean Power Plan was going to do anything about protecting the environment.